Well, hello, everybody. It's Pastor Adam, and uh, I have a, a message, a teaching uh, around uh, this time of year, this event uh, that, you know, I talked about before, about the birth of Jesus, but the world celebrates this time, and so I'm going to be teaching on today on something that we can glean from some wise men. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity. And we ask for you to continue to guide us in truth, uh, to guide us in uh, discipline, discernment, and truth. We thank you, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So I, I, I titled this today, Lessons from the Wise Men. And I'm going to begin in Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to get there in just a moment, but not sure if you have ever heard of this book or read this book, but there's this book called All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. It's from years ago. And the author of that book shared some very simple lessons. Here's just some of them. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Don't take things that aren't yours. When you go outside, watch out for traffic. Hold your hold hands and stick together. Now, you know, these are for kindergartners. They're simple, but they're also so pro- profound. And all of those were for six-year-olds. Well, in that very same vein, in that uh, trying to lead us there, we can glean from that theme in Matthew chapter 2. Everything we need to know, we learn from the wise men. So let's begin by reading Matthew chapter 2 starting with verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to Herod in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right, so that was Matthew 2, verses 1 through 11. Now, I'm going to make some points here, okay? First off, we're not entirely sure where these wise men came from or who they were. We, we don't know how many wise men there, there were either. Now, you know, we tend to think there were three because there are three gifts, and also probably because someone wrote a song that's titled, We Three Kings of Orient Are. But the truth is, we do not really know if there were three or possibly a caravan of wise men. 
We also don't know exactly where they are from. We are told they are from the east. But we don't know if that's the Near East or the Far East. And I, and I get it. Probably no one's losing sleep over these kind of questions. And I'm going to get practical in a moment. But I, I do think it is, it's extremely helpful to take a moment and clarify some misconceptions about the wise men's story. In a, and in a larger sense, that also you know, impacts Christianity overall. Okay, so... I believe, I, I think Babylon is the most likely location where these wise men came from. And if that's the case, well, that's about a thousand mile journey, you know, one way, walking and on camel. And what's remarkable, I think, amongst many things, but there's a lot of remarkable things. But one thing is during this time period, the average person rarely, if ever, traveled outside of a 35-mile 30 mile radius of their birthplace. Now, when you put that into context, this journey would have to rank as one of the most remarkable expeditions in history. Okay? This, this journey they took. And I want to dialogue a little bit more about these guys. Now, the term magi originally referred to the priestly types from the Persian Empire. But then it's a more broadly applied throughout history to mean scholars, astrologers, scientists, as well as magicians. But even magician is kind of a loose meaning because that tends to refer to someone who knew a little something about medicine during that time frame and that couple thousand years ago. You had to have, you know, to use magic, you had to have some knowledge of medicine or a, a magician. And so... And here's something else. Finally, we, we don't know whether they were Gentiles or possibly even part of, maybe they were Jewish, a remnant of Jews that remained in Babylon from the 700 years of their earlier when they were captive. Maybe they're descendants of those Jews that were there in Babylon, you know, during Daniel's time. Because that's what I think they are. Can't prove it, but that's what I believe because it makes a lot of sense to me. And these, these wise men continued studying the Jewish ancient prophecies, the Jewish customs, and the Jewish traditions. And so when you read the book of Daniel, you realize how Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all those young Jewish guys knew more about the Persian culture, the Babylonian culture, than the Babylonians. So I think when they were released to go back to Israel, some of them stayed and, if you will, like set up a school, a college. They stayed there because they had set up home house there. So I think some of them stayed there. Okay, but I guess what I'm saying is there's so much about this story that we do not know, but everything we need to know, we can learn from these wise men. So let's, let's dig into some of these you know, lessons. First of all, wise men follow the star. And, and this includes ladies. I'm not, it's, it's men and women. Wise women follow the star as well. We're all on the same page. But for the sake of the story, wise men followed the star. Scripture says that they saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, I, I know this time of year, this is a very popular story. And I don't, 
believe we actually stop to think about, you know, any dimension of this story whatsoever, because it's almost become like white noise, if you will. But I think this is significant, and I wanted to slow this down a bit and look at this a little more closely. So, have, have for, for instance, in the, in the real sense, like right now, have you ever been able to get away from, like, the city lights and, and get out in the country at night where there's no street lights and just the stars and the moon are out? I mean, if you have, you know, it's a breathtaking view because there's so many stars. And for the sake of simplicity, I just want to suggest looking at stars is like looking at a billion miracles. But, but you know what happens? We rarely take the time to look up and appreciate what we're looking at or even appreciate that the light that those stars left, left them a long, long time ago. That light did. And in other words, what I'm getting at, it's, that's just one of the things we just miss and take for granted. You know, Psalm 19 says this, Psalm 19 verses one through three says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. This, this is a reminder to us that if, we're, if we aren't careful, we stop staring at the stars. We stop stargazing. We stop following the stars. So to point out a contrast, let, let me try something here. And please don't let this come across as me, you know, pointing a finger at you because there's this old saying that goes, there are three pointing back at me, you know? So I, I get that. I just want to say something here. And I'm not coming down on anybody, but I, I just want to like do this openly and like take a survey. I get it. I can't see who's participating. But this year, this past year, was there ever a moment when you bumped into somebody because you were walking while texting or tweeting or just on your phone? Be honest. It's okay if you did. Because I've been run into at the grocery store. I'm not joking. People uh, on, on just walking outside of buildings. And over the last decade, I, it's happened a lot. I, I lose count. If you, if you go to, um, I don't know, like a big amusement park or somewhere with a lot of people, a stadium, any of these things, oh my gosh, right? But okay, so made my point there. Now let's see if we can include a few more people. How many of you were at a meal this past year at some point during the meal? You just happened to notice that there are people on their phone simultaneously while you're sitting at the table. I, I imagine that's just about everybody. Now, this is going to sound cliche, but I'm, I'm making a point. I think at some point we stopped staring at the stars and we started staring at our phones. And when we do that, you know what happens? Our world gets smaller and smaller. And we lose the sense of wonder that when Jesus said, you must become like little children. And I think much of what Jesus is inferring in that is to recapture a wonder of when you look up of our creator and his creation. So, and so this is not complicated. But this, this whole wise men thing. But what we got going on here is we have some scientists or doctors or professors 
you know, wise men who are looking at the stars and it's like there is this, they got this holy curiosity, this sense of wonder as they look into the night and that, that right there tells us a lot about them. Because I'm wondering, how frequently do we fail to do that? I mean, how many moments have you had where, where you've just been like lost in the awe of wherever? Because I'm trying to get across, this life should not be measured in minutes. It should be measured in moments. And in a case like this of looking up into the night sky, it's times like that, I don't know about for you, but for me, it's like I come alive. But of course, the wise men didn't just stare at those stars. They followed the stars. And this is where this story gets, you know, interesting, more interesting. Now, we kind of assume things in the wise men story here because, well, it's all we've ever been told or known about it. But see, have you ever wondered if there were some, like, not so wise men who saw the star and didn't follow it? I thought about that. I bet there were some not-so-wise men who had the same opportunity to follow this star but didn't do it. I mean, have you ever gone on a hike in a park or a nature trail somewhere? Right? They all tend to have trail markers so that, you know, it's impossible to get lost. What I'm saying is following this star is an adventure that's kind of in a category all by itself because there was no trail. There, there was no map. There was no guide. All they had was a star to guide them. And didn't, they didn't know where they were going or how long it was going to take to get where they were going. Right? They didn't know what they were trying to find. But here's what I'm saying. This event, this, this wise men journey, is arguably one of the greatest leaps of faith in all of Scripture. I mean, we had Abraham who left his family and his country to go to the promised land. And we just say, you know, wow, Abraham, that's awesome. But in my estimation, the wise man story, up the ante. To me, this is even a bigger leap of faith. We, we don't even know that they heard the voice of God. I mean, we are told Abraham heard the voice of God guiding him. But there's something in this wise man that enabled them to take this leap of faith. See, I think if we like take a step back, look in the mirror for a moment, we should ask ourselves, are we following the star? And you may be going, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, that dream, that vision, that desire that God has put in your heart, I, I really remember, it's always stuck with me, that old Christmas card that says, wise men still seek him. I think it's one of the greatest sayings ever. One of the greatest Christmas cards ever. Here's what I'm getting at. Because here's, it's the point we sometimes miss. Who should have found the Messiah? It should have been the religious leaders who were in Jerusalem five miles away. Jerusalem's five miles from Bethlehem. But they wouldn't even go those few miles out of their way to see if the Messiah was in fact born. But you have these ancient wise men who go way out of their way, at least a thousand miles. You know, I'm, that's kind of a guess, but they, they took the long journey 
And they discover him, discovered him, and it changed their lives. It changed the course of history because that one divine appointment helped save Joseph and Mary and Jesus. All right, so now let's talk about the second lesson we learned from the wise men. I think wise men jump for joy. Let's revisit verse 10. It, it says there in Matthew 2, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. I need to be a little cautious and careful here how I share this because it's so easy to make overstatements depending on whatever topic we're you know, teaching on or preaching on. But I do think this is something that we need to hear. So I'm gonna say it like this. I'm not certain what our biggest shortcoming is. Meaning, is it that we sin too much or is it that we celebrate too little? Hmm. I mean, another way of saying it would be, I don't know if our biggest shortcoming would be not feeling bad enough in terms of true, genuine repentance for what we've done wrong or not celebrating what God has done right. His righteousness, his goodness, his greatness, his forgiveness. I, I just don't think we celebrate the goodness or the greatness of God as much as we could or we should. I don't think we celebrate life or celebrate love like I said, I think we should or we could. I don't think we celebrate the little blessings or the big blessings as much as we could or should. I don't think that we enjoy life, enjoy the journey, or enjoy God nearly as much as we could or we should. We, we don't realize that God wants us to enjoy him. I mean, just, just stop and think about this angelic announcement of the birth of, birth of Christ. They, I mean, it could have been announced any way they wanted to, Right? But what did the angels say? They said, we bring good news of great joy. So if we'd kind of like reverse engineer this whole thing, I think what you get back to is that one differentiating factor for those of us who follow Jesus Christ ought to be great joy. We, we ought to be the most joyful people on the planet. Now, this doesn't mean you have to smile like your buddy, the elf. I, you know, he says, and he, smiling's my favorite. I get that. But I think we could smile a little more. And I also think we could laugh a little more. I think we could be a little better at having fun because we take God seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. I'm, I, I, you know, observing I think the happiest, healthiest, holiest people on the planet are the people who laugh at themselves the most. Hmm. Again, just step back and I want to paint a picture here because I want to make sure we get this. If, if, when you look at the Old Testament, for instance, you'll find that God instituted seven feasts. Feasts are, are these feasts of the Lord are just basically religious parties. They're celebrations. They're festivals, and, and they are the rhyme and the reason of the Jewish calendar, the rhyme of life, right? The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits that happened in the springtime. Then 50 days later, you got the Feast of Pentecost, which is in the May-June timeframe. Then about three months later, we get into the fall, and we have the last three, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So, you know, I mean, I think it's, you know, why would God ordain these seven feasts, these seven festivals, these seven holidays? And I'm not trying to just throw this out there to prove a point. 
I think part of it certainly is that the, it helped the Jewish people to, to remembering what, what they shouldn't forget, right? And what they should forget. <laughs> and it also helps that you, you got to remember certain things, these feasts. And the same thing is with us. A feast by celebrating these is a good way to keep the main thing the main thing. You know, because of the holidays we celebrate. I mean, not every Christmas song is about the birth of Jesus, is it? I mean, come on. We got Jingle Bells, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, Mele Kaliki Maka is Hawaii's way to say Merry Christmas to you, Frosty the Snowman. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, it's very easy to watch a 30-minute cartoon about Frosty the Snowman or a reindeer with a red nose. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, but that has such a shallow meaning of what Christmas is supposed to be about. So the very same thing happened in the Jewish culture that happens in our culture. It's easy to lose the reason for the season. And so what I'm getting at is I believe God wanted to teach his people how to celebrate. So he gives them these seven feasts. He weaves joy into their lives and the ability to celebrate into our lives. I believe that when we worship God, we are most closely reflecting what is happening in heaven. I mean, Revelation 4 lets us look through the floorboards of heaven and what we see are those who are worshiping God nonstop, the elders, these, these four beasts. So I think the second thing that the wise men teach us, it's critically important to celebrate. <clears throat> I mean, Luke 15 says that all the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner is saved. So if we think about all the people in the world that got saved every day, if there's 8 billion people in the planet, right? If we think about all the people that are being, that are bowing to Jesus, that are submitting to Jesus, that are confessing as Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. There wouldn't be a second, I think, that goes by that someone isn't putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what that tells me in a very literal way is the angelic celebration in heaven never stops. But then I think we also have to personalize it and realize that the moment you turn from sin to Christ, in that moment, you set off an angelic celebration in all of heaven. I mean, how awesome is that? So when we celebrate, we're just doing what the angels are so good at doing in heaven. And I think this is part of what it means to be a wise man. And I, I guess it's almost ironic. Let, let, let me explain on that when I say it's ironic. I mean, wise men are ancient intellectuals. Now, I, I, I can only speak for myself, but I've, I've met my share of, of intellectual people. And almost all of them are very um, in touch, you know, with their cerebral parts, their mind. But they're, right, they're less emotional compared to non-academics. They, they're very, they don't seem to laugh out loud as easily. They're very guarded. They don't spontaneously celebrate without research, without analysis. They're very careful type of people. I hope you can relate and understand what I'm saying. 
So the wise men are like these ancient PhD guys. But they teach us they haven't forgot how to laugh and show great joy. They haven't forgotten how to have fun and how to celebrate because the scriptures say they were overjoyed or filled with joy. It's like a spontaneous combustion of joy that just came out when they see the Messiah, when they see the infant Jesus. Now, no doubt that it's likely they're part of their joy. I mean, because if you've been traveling a thousand miles, you're going to be happy when you reach your destination. So I'm sure that's part of it. You know, like, oh gosh, we finally arrived. Yay, hallelujah. You know, I'm sick and tired of my camel. We finally found what we've been looking for. But, but here's a question for each of us. Have you rejoiced as much as you could have or should have this past year? And is it possible that that could be one of your greatest shortcomings? Did you count your blessings enough times? Did you enjoy the journey life sent you on this year? Have you hit your laugh quota? Did you smile as much as you could have and should have? I, I really, really believe this. I think it's good to push that envelope of smiling more and laughing more. And let me just make sure we're not assuming anything, but let me remind us where our joy is found. It is found in the exact same place where the wise men found it. Not Bethlehem, not following the star, it is found in the person of the Messiah, Yeshua Yamashiach, Jesus the Christ. True joy is only found in the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross, buried and resurrected and at the right hand of the Father right now. You haven't experienced joy until our sin has been forgiven and forgotten. You can't change all our circumstances, but we can change our focus. You know, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 says, fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me straighten us out right now on something. If you fix your eyes on your sin, you're doing exactly what the enemy wants you to do. You will feel depressed and defeated and like a worm. My exhortation to you today is don't focus on your sin. Confess your sin and focus on your Savior. Christmas is not just a celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. It's a celebration of his sinless life and his substitutionary death on the cross for all of us. Christmas is really about how God gave us a gift, right? John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now I get it. You might not get what you wanted under the tree, and I'm sorry about that. But if you kneel at the foot of the cross, you will get a gift unlike any gift you ever, ever were offered. It's the gift of salvation. It's the gift of your sin forgiven in one fell swoop. It's the gift of being in that right relationship with the one who created you, the one who has plans and purposes for your life. It's the gift of an abundant life and an eternal life. I love that story about the little girl who was asked if she got what she wanted for Christmas. She thought about it for a second, and then she said, no, but then again, we're not celebrating my birthday. I love that little girl's response. It's not our birthday. It's the birth of Jesus Christ. And here's what I love about this. It's the birthday of Jesus, and he brings the gift. It's the gift of salvation. And all we have to do is receive it. 
John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Amen. Now, the final thing the wise men teach us is they come bearing gifts. Verse 11 says, They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now here's, here's the thing. I wonder if we were truly wise men and wise women, if we would just look for opportunities to come bearing gifts. It does not have to be something financial. Some of the greatest gifts I've, I've gotten are words of affirmation and encouragement spoken right when I needed to hear it. Or, or even something small or maybe the gift of some time or a batch of homemade cookies or a thoughtful card or a text or a phone message. I just think the thing to take away is that wise men come bearing gifts. But as I'm looking at this story, it seems like these are kind of like the wrong gifts for a child. I mean, has any child in the history of the world had myrrh on their Christmas list? I mean, wouldn't you give the kid an ancient, you know, ancient action figure or something like David with a slingshot? So on the surface, through our lens, right, it appears that these are the wrong gifts. <laughs> but in reality, they are the perfect gifts. See, Joseph is warned in a dream that he has to flee to Egypt. So let's get very practical here. Think about the reality here. Joseph comes up with money to finance a trip to a foreign country. We, we, we ignore the financial reality in this story. Joseph and Mary needed a miracle, and that miracle was provided by someone that God sent a thousand miles away. I'm not saying that Mary or Joseph ran to the nearest pawn shop and turned it in for cash, all that gold. But I would imagine gold would get you a long way towards Egypt. So I think these gifts were a miracle for Joseph and Mary. And I don't think it's any different today. Your gift, many times, is someone else's miracle. And I hope you hear this from the bottom of my heart, but I am so overwhelmed by the faithfulness and the generosity and the giving spirit of so many of you. Candace and I just want to say thank you because I really do believe that your faithful giving translates into miracles. This, this little ministry we call Dream Mentors International has a big vision and has its own expenses, but it also is able to give hundreds of hundreds of dollars to international ministries supporting the gospel being preached and taught in multiple countries around the globe every month. Muslim nations paying for TV stations in Muslim nations to air our messages, translating it to Urdu. We, this ministry pays for those translations every month. I, I promise you this. It is a miracle for those who are on the other side receiving it. And some say, why do this when we have our own bills, our own expenses? Because we are bound and determined to effect change in this community during our watch and in this world during our watch. We are, we've, we've submitted to God, rolled up our sleeves, and we're doing something about it. 
We're going to be the hands and feet of Christ. We're going to bless our country and city and we're going to do it regardless of circumstances. So I thank you for that. I ask that you continue to pray. I ask you to continue to pray to God and thank him for his favor on, on you and on this ministry, on Dream Mentors. And if God's favor is upon us, we're going to find favor in the things we put our hands to. So I want to encourage you, thank you for continuing to give to this ministry. And like the wise men showed us, we do that so more miracles can happen. God bless you all. And I hope you have a wonderful Christmas season. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, amen.